turn in your Bible with me. I was wondering why my sermon was so short today. I'll stretch it out a little bit for you. Don't worry. Um, I want to preach a message today. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21, 2 Samuel chapter 21, this is, this is definitely one of the more strange stories in Scripture. This story is actually written after what seemed to be the conclusion of the book of Samuel around chapter 20, and then it's almost like the author goes back in chapter 21 through 24 and, and begins to maybe fill in some of the details and some of the things that were missed. I, I want to preach a, a little bit of a C.S. Lewis-sounding message today called A Sackcloth and a Savior. If you're taking notes with me this morning, I, I want you to write this down, number one. And uh, if you want the notes, those are available for you on the back of the bulletin. They're also available online at EuniceChurch.com or in the new app that our team has been working very diligently on. Number one, write this down, face, face the Father. Face the Father. I think we face a lot of things in this life, and if I, I whispered to my bride as as she went to sit down and be my biggest fan there on the front row, uh, I whispered in her ear, could you have ever imagined God doing this in 2006? Um, because many people are, are so impressed uh, by who we are today but we know who we were without him. And it was, I believe, this one thing, if I've done anything right and, and if I continue to accomplish anything significant on behalf of eternity, it was because in 2006, I and ultimately we decided to face the Father and follow Jesus. No matter what else we had been facing, no matter what else may come up, no matter how many other faces may have tried to get in the way of that at that time, there was this one decision of turning and facing our Heavenly Father and, and truly following Jesus. And so I understand the words of the Apostle Paul that he could use a fool to confound the wise. I'm telling you, if, if God can use to people like us, then he can use you as well, but you're gonna have to make the decision to turn and to face the Father. Come on, in Christ, I, I really can do all kinds of things that I never even knew I could accomplish, but apart from him, I am nothing. David understood this, unfortunately, the former king, Saul, did not understand this. And we can see this in this first portion of this passage. Verse 1, the Bible says, There was a famine in the days of David for three years. Year after year, and David made a decision. He sought the face of the Lord. He sought the face of the Father. And the Lord said, this was God's response, there is a blood guilt on Saul and on his house. So what God is saying is Saul is responsible for the shedding of innocent blood. And because Saul is responsible for the shedding of innocent blood, not only is there a curse on Saul, but there's a curse on his entire household. 
because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, a couple of things before we go to verse 2 that I just wanted to point out right here is David assumed that it was possible that the things that were wrong were not because of God, but that God may know why and or God may be able to clean up some of the not so great things that were being are happening at that time if if the people were doing something wrong in other words there are some things that God does do and God does allow to be done that are a byproduct of the behavior of people like God really does do some things that are a warning Guys, I've said this over and over again, and I'll continue to say it, but I believe that 2020, God allowed a warning. I mean, in an economic collapse, in a global shutdown, what, supposed, what was supposed to just be 10 days to lower the curve, you remember that? Just 10 days, give us 10 days, just lower the curve, just want you to, 10 days, it's all you need, lower the curve. Here we are, two years later, the government attempting to enforce things that they have no right to enforce. Now, I'm not saying one thing for or against however you feel about whatever you feel about, but I know that governmental enforcement is a sign of something that's going to happen in the book of Revelation. I've read the end of this book, and governmental enforcement on your ability to buy and or sell <laughs> is coming whether you like it or not. But God, hear me, but God always gives a warning before he pours out his wrath. And when God gives the warning that something is wrong, we can make an adjustment so that it doesn't get worse. And I believe the adjustment is up to us. It's not up to society and people that don't believe in Jesus. This is about the church waking up this is about the church not taking for granted their freedom to gather together. This is about the church not blending into society like they don't believe in Jesus. It's our turn and it's our time. And David understood that it was possible there was a famine because of something that they were doing and it needed to change. However, there are also times where God is not trying to say anything. And we can't hear me, please hear me. We can't assume that something evil and or frightening and or consequential happening is because God sent the hurricane or God sent the virus upon this lake. God didn't send a virus. That was made in a lab by a man. This is... This is the byproduct. There are some things that happen that are very simply a byproduct of the fact that we live in a fallen world around fallen people. Guys, this thing wasn't built to last. It's not going to last. I don't care how many adjustments you make to my exhaust system. The world is not going to refreeze and or keep melting to a place where it's just disintegrated. That's not why the fire from heaven is coming down. It doesn't matter what adjustment that we make or how much smoke we do or don't put. Now, I believe we should be good stewards of what we have. 
But the government is trying to make a world last that was never created to last. The world is worried about something that God is going to do away with. And there are times when fallen things and fallen people are just very simply, and, uh, and the people that are following Jesus are very simply suffering the consequences of being around fallen people in a fallen world. And it's actually not good theology to assume that God is doing everything or God is punishing someone because of something that they did. In fact, one time the disciples came to Jesus. It's in John chapter 9. This isn't in your notes. But in John chapter 9, the disciples came to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, this man has been blind since birth. And I, Jesus is so gracious. I mean, it, there are so many times where I just wanted Jesus to be sarcastic. Just one time. Just one time let somebody have it. Like, oh, well, thank you for that valuable information. I didn't notice the blind dude, but now that you pointed it out, I'm now informed. Thank you for letting me see like he can't. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so the disciples said, I mean, Jesus, who sinned? Somebody has sinned, surely. I mean, they sound like my great-great-grandmother, right? Something falls, something happens, something's breaking, and she's like accusing everybody. Somebody's in sin. Somebody's done, done something. They not. Who needs to confess? What's going on? It's like, Grandma, it's just milk. We're going to clean it. It's okay. Wasn't a demon? She spilt it. We'll clean it up. It's all right. Just calm down. Why is it always the Pentecostals and the Charismatics on like the front of the platform screaming about God's punishment? It's like, no, it was just bad weather. It was bad weather. It's okay. Okay, we're gonna clean it up. We're gonna clean it up. The disciples said, who sinned? Was it him <laughs> or his parents? <laughs> and Jesus is like, uh, neither. He's actually blind so that we can perform a miracle and these people can believe. See, sometimes what we think is God's punishment is actually just a divine opportunity to reveal the heavenly Father's ability to overcome anything. See, David understood that. Let's keep reading verse 2. So the king called the Gibeonites, and he spoke to them. The Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but they were a remnant of the Amorites. Let me explain just quickly. We looked this up. Uh, it, I remembered them once I looked them up. But the Gibeonites were in the land of Canaan when Joshua came across the Jordan River. And, you know, that first battle, Jericho, and they were marching around the walls of Jericho. And, and, and then at the seventh day, on the seventh time they marched around, they shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. And the walls of Jericho. All right, sorry. I'm back from Sunday school. It's just in my dome. And so that's, that's how I remember it. But Joshua and the Israelites, army are in the land and they're conquering the land on behalf of God. They're receiving the promised land and the Gibeonites, they hear like the Israelites, they whipping everybody. Okay. So what they did is they like put on sackcloth and they dirtied themselves up. The Bible says they even got and went like, they went and got like some old bread like some mildewy stuff. And they, and they came to Joshua and they like stumbled upon the army like they were surprised like, oh, oh, wow, didn't see you guys there. And then they, they convinced Joshua that they're not 
part of the Canaanite land that they're, they're not just a remnant of the Amorites. They're just traveling through. So they tricked Joshua into making a covenant with them so that they would be protected, so that they and their people would be protected. Now, Joshua finds out who they really are and, and, and basically comes back and says, look, I got to honor my covenant because you have to honor your word because God always honors his word. The people of God have to honor their word. So don't say it if you're not going to do it, but if you say it, you got to do it. So stop making idle threats to people. I'm just that's another sermon for another day. Joshua had to stay covenanted to the words that he had said. But so he said, since you lied to me, since you tricked me, I'm going to make you my slave. And you're going to serve the people of Israel all the days of your life. Let's keep going. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare the Gibeonites, that was the covenant between Joshua and the people of Gibeon, Saul had salt. Remember that word. Because we just read a minute ago that David sought the face of God. And Saul sought to strike down the people in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. Hear me. When your zeal and or your concern for people becomes greater than your zeal and or your concern for God, you have entered into very dangerous territory. Hear me, I love my babies, but my zeal for my people are not going to be greater than my zeal for his presence. We are not as a people in a place where we need to be talking about my people and those people and them people and that people and our people and their people. That is not the place that we are in. We are in a place as the people of God where the zeal for his presence needs to become greater than the zeal for anybody's people. So my babies are not more important to me than my bride. And my bride is not more important to me than my relationship with Jesus. Because if my zeal for any person becomes greater than my zeal for his presence, then that person is an idol between my life and the life that God has for me. I want to say it this way. Passion misdirected can be very dangerous. And I'm a passionate person. I don't know if you've noticed or not. I don't, I don't really just thrive on the person that stands behind the monotonous pulpit and never changes the tone of his. I'm passionate. I like passion. I'm not against passion. But passion misdirected can form cults. Passion misdirected can cause significant confusion. It's actually very dangerous. And the Bible says that, that Saul was passionate. He was just selfishly passionate. And when you become selfish and you're passionate about the things of this life instead of the God of this life, you lead people astray. Hey, as we move to the second point, would you write this down and, and never forget it and help train your children in this as well? Never take advice from somebody that's not living for Jesus. It's just a very practical thing. They're not going to give you good advice. 
They might give you like successful earthly advice, but they're not gonna give you biblically sound, selfless, surrendering, sacrificial, holy advice that's gonna lead you in the right direction. Don't take advice from people who do not have what God wishes they would have in their own lives. Saul didn't understand that principle, David did. Fast forward a little bit in the next three to seven verses. <laughs> David goes to the Gibeonites and he's like, hey, um, so I heard that um, the former king killed some people that you love and care about. Really sorry about that, by the way. It wasn't me, it was the last guy. And um, I feel like maybe we should try to make retribution for this because there's a famine on our land right now because of the, the innocent blood that was shed. So, so David's like asking the people, is there anything that I can do to try to make amends here? And the Gibeonites say, yeah, you know, we don't want your silver. We don't want your gold. We, we don't want your treasury. And, and we're not here to try to kill your people. Like they knew we're not going to war with Israel. And they asked very simply, maybe if you just hand over some of the sons of Saul, some of the grandsons of Saul, then perhaps the retribution will be paid. So the sons, catch the imagery here, the sons are about to pay retribution for a sin that they didn't commit. Pick up here, verse 8. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth. Now, that's not the same Mephibosheth as Jonathan's son, who David had made a covenant with. Don't let that confuse you. Some of you are like, whoa, there's two of those guys? I don't know. Apparently, Mephibosheth was like a popular name in Israel at that time. We need to bring that back, you know? Not, not really. And the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, and who she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai the Maholathite. Thank you, Jesus. That verse is over with. Verse 9. And he, gave, <laughs> and he gave them into the hands. So here we are. We've got seven sons and maybe even grandsons of Saul, depending upon how you interpret that. And they're being handed over by David to the Gibeonites. Because God is bound by his word. Even when it doesn't make sense to the world. Did you hear me? It's important to remember that God is bound by his word, even when it doesn't make sense to the world. And God will do things in the eternal that do not make any sense in the earthly. He will do things for the sake of his kingdom that do not make any sense to the people that do not understand his kingdom, who are not focused on his kingdom. David gave them into the hands of the Gibeonite, and they, this story gets a little tough, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. I want to go to the next verse, but before I do that, I, I want you to write this down because I believe that, I, I, hear me, this is not just something I'm saying because I'm passionate. I truly believe that we are in a season where, can we, where we cannot just simply blend in to society and call it 
believing in God and being saved. I, I truly believe, now I'm not talking about being superficial and, and overly spiritual and insensitive to people that aren't. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is being prepared and training for what we believe as the church is on the way if you have read this book. So on behalf of your salvation, Hear me, on behalf of your family, on behalf of God's future for you and the people that are coming after you, on behalf of your friends, if you don't have any immediate family right now, on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ and or the sons and daughters of God who are coming after you, I need somebody to write this down and you may need to declare it about 25 times this week. I'm not finished yet. I love what God has done over over the last five years, but I'm here to tell you right now, I still have too much blood running through my body and too much breath of God flowing through my lungs. I am not finished yet. The enemy thinks that he has a hold of this territory, but I'm about to awaken the church of God. There's some dry bones been laying around for too long, and it is time that the breath of God flows back into those bones and the people of God become what they were created to be. I will not rest until I see what God has for this community in the surrounding area. I am not finished yet. If your loved one feels lost, if your friend or family member is not living the way that you're hoping that they live, if your circumstance has not ended the way that you thought that it was going to end, I think you need to declare into the heavens today and make a proclamation in your spirit and according to the word of God that I am not finished yet. Verse 10, Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. Y'all go ahead and come help me, whoever's coming. Everybody will think I'm almost done if y'all come. Rizpah, and I really am. The Bible says the daughter of Aya took sackcloth and she began to spread it out across the rock as a sign of mourning. She spread it out on the ground underneath her sons who were hanging from a tree. And from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. See, Rizpah was now in the middle of something that she didn't see coming. And Rizpah was experiencing something that she didn't ask for. Rizpah was watching her sons pay retribution for a sin that they did not commit. And the Bible says that Rizpah went out to that place in her mourning and she laid out sackcloth and she did it until the rain fell. She went into her prayer closet until she sensed the Spirit of God. She went into a place and she said, Lord, there is no way that this is how this story is supposed to end. And until the rain fell from the heavens, the Bible says she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day, and she did not allow the beast of the field to come upon them by night. I couldn't help but think when this mama had these sons 
who were hanging from this tree, I was automatically reminded of another mother who watched her son hanging from a tree called Calvary as he was paying retribution for sins that he didn't commit. And the Bible says that mama was at the foot of that cross until that body was taken down and put in that tomb. And for three days, she watched at a distance. But on the third day, the Bible says, there that mama was found, waiting, anticipating, expecting that although what she saw didn't make sense to her, that God was still moving and God was still working and Rizpah I believe that Rizpah like Mary was declaring to the heavens on that day that the ravens may be trying to ravage my sons today and the enemy may be trying to expose my daughters today and 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 the, and, and the devil may be trying to bring doom and gloom in this day and hour but I refuse to stand back idly and expect nothing to happen I'm anointed and I'm called and the prince of the air ain't getting to my family the prince of the air ain't getting to my marriage the one that prowls around like a roaring lion can't come any closer to the things that God has given me I'm gonna fight through my fear I'm gonna swing through my sadness I'm gonna prophesy through my pain I believe that she kept swinging and she may have come to a place where she decided I may not be able to save them all but as for me and mine I'm gonna keep on swinging I'm gonna keep on praying I'm gonna keep on believing I'm gonna prophesy right now in front of you I'm telling you that the devil can't have my baby's innocence the enemy can't have my daughter's integrity the enemy in the name of Jesus cannot have Adeline cannot have Henry Grace cannot have Gabriel I'm gonna become the man that God created me to be so that they will become the sons and the daughters that God has for them to be if I gotta stay awake all night if I gotta get up early in the morning I'm gonna make sure in the name of Jesus that if I ain't got nothing left but a sackcloth and a prayer the devil ain't coming in my house and he ain't getting to my family he can't have this church and he can't have this city why because number three, the last time I read the book, this story is an example that the king is still on the way. I'll see while we were getting distracted by 2020, Gabriel was tuning the trumpet of the Lord. <laughs> the king is still on his way. The Bible says in verse 11 that when David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, I don't know if you notice or not, but this girl ain't got the best past. But she wasn't concerned about her past. She was concerned about what she was seeing produced right there in the present. She couldn't go back and do anything about what was done yesterday, but she stood in the moment determined to make a difference in her tomorrow. Rizpah, the concubine of Saul, the Bible says in verse 12, got the 
attention of the king. I'm not talking about salvation right here at this moment. Because there's nothing that you can do. Hear me. There's nothing that you can do to earn the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. Absolutely nothing. We just sang about it in the song, Jaira, that he loves me right where I am. The Bible says that God is not slack concerning his promise, but patient that none would perish, but all would come to, the, come to repentance. That's his will. That's his plan. So there's nothing you can do to earn the salvation, the grace, the mercy, or the love of God. However, I do believe that I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I have sensed when I walked outside of God's will for my life, what he had planned for me when I decided to go this way instead of the direction that I knew he wanted me to go. I have sensed that the presence and the covering was over there and I have just stepped out of it and gone over here. In fact, I believe the apostle Paul references it. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That is one of those moments I've seen teenager after teenager, young person after young person give themselves to anybody that will give them attention. And all of a sudden they walked out of the covering and they ended up committing things that they never should have committed. I believe we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but hey, listen, here's the good news. I believe also that when the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth looking for somebody who loves him. I believe that when the author in the New Testament wrote that if we draw nigh unto the Lord, if we draw near to the Lord, then he will draw near unto us. I believe that God looked down from heaven that day and he saw that one mama. He saw that small remnant. He saw the retribution of some sons paying for sins that they didn't even commit. And he let David the king know what was happening in that place. And so I do believe that when we desire God in a way that is, is bringing about a purpose that is not currently coming to pass, that we can draw in the attention of our heavenly father and he will do things that he would not have done for the people that were doing things that nobody else would have done. I believe we can draw the attention of God. And I believe that God responds to the request of his people, but he's waiting for somebody to make the request. He's waiting for somebody to be faithful through the fear. He's looking and he's wanting so desperately to return, but he can't because the church is still sleeping. But when the church begins to awaken, and the, remnant, and the remnant begins to walk in revelation. And maybe even it's just one mama who looks at the situation and says, I'm not finished. There's no way that this is the end. I believe God looks down from heaven and says, that I can use. We come in here every morning at 6.30. All the paid staff members, and then what's even more impressive, the unpaid volunteers. Sunday morning at 6.30. That's why it's unbelievable. Like I can't even conceive the idea of sleeping in and not gathering together as some are in the habit of doing whenever it was taken away from us and we saw how valuable it was. 
I can't, I just, I can't even picture that. I, I was telling Megan yesterday, what is it like to just think that you even have a choice to do what the Bible says? Man, what, what, is, what is it like? We have people that show up at 6.30 and they walk this room and they pray. And God responds to the prayers that are being prayed. It gets the attention of the Spirit of God. And I believe that the, whoo, I believe that the Spirit of God comes in and rests on this worship center in a way that some worship centers are wondering why he's not. Because 20 people got up at 6 o'clock in the morning and showed up in the worship center to prepare the atmosphere, to produce the opportunity to serve some other people that were going to inherit the retribution of somebody else's request. The Bible said the king found out what Rizpah was doing. So he went, verse 12, and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh Gilead. I'm gonna over preach it, I'm telling you right now. The ones who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshem where the Philistines had hanged Saul and Jonathan. On the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. Man, I, I, I think that the fact that there is no story here is an example for us that when the people of God go into the camp of the enemy, do I have time for this? I, the rest of y'all got to wait because y'all didn't respond. <laughs> I believe that this is evidence that when the people of God go into the camp of the enemy in the name of Jesus, when David went into the city of Jabesh Gilead and he told those people that they had something that didn't belong to them and they were hiding something that they didn't get to have. I don't think Jabesh Gilead said anything but yes sir, we've been hoping that nobody would show up because we've been hiding it and trying to keep it to ourselves. But now that a man or a woman of God has come into the enemy's camp and taken back what the enemy tried to steal away, I believe that Proverbs chapter 6 verse 31 is about to come alive in somebody's life when you realize the anointing that Jesus Christ purchased for you that the, at the mention of his name the devil has to flee and that the exposure of what he tried to take away he now owes you seven times what he tried to steal so every ounce of purity he owes you seven ounces of integrity for every day that he tried to make division in this nation I believe that he owes us seven more days of unity in the spirit because we are exposing what he tried to take verse 13 he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged the sons of retribution for a sin that they didn't commit verse 14 and they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish his father I love this. And they did all that the king commanded. There's coming a day when they will do all that the king commanded. The only question is, will you be found doing the work of your father whenever the father comes and says free will shall be no more? It is now time 
for me to implement my kingdom once and for all. When they had done all that the king had commanded them, the Bible says after that, bump your sleepy neighbor and say after that, God responded. After that, God responded to their plea for not themselves, but their plea for the land. I believe we're supposed to end this service a little bit differently today. I believe that we are supposed to pray specifically for Acadiana. I had a vision. Some of you know it, but I believe that I'm supposed to claim this land. I don't mean like super spiritually or superficially because of the expansion of tents that I read about in the Old Testament. I believe truly that God is bringing a vision to pass as he continues to send and entrust this staff and the leaders and the dream team members of this church with his most prized possessions, which is potential sons and daughters for salvation and healing and the purposes of his kingdom. And I believe that today we are supposed to pray for this land. So I wanna ask you, but hang on before you do, if you're gonna pick and play and laugh and smile, I don't even want you to stand up, just stay seated. If you're gonna listen to me pray and you're not gonna pray with me, I want you to seriously consider just sitting and receiving and listen to everybody else's prayer. But if you wanna pray for the city and the surrounding area, if you wanna pray for your community, if you wanna pray for Acadiana, if you wanna pray for Louisiana, and if you wanna pray for this nation, I wanna ask you to stand right now in this place. Don't look around and wait for somebody else. You don't have to stand. And you don't have to pray. No more than Rizpah had to, to protest and or to fight against the enemy. So before we go today, I'm gonna ask some of you to do something that you're not comfortable with. <laughs> oh, I thought I was just gonna stand. Like I felt good, all right, I'll stand. I'm gonna stand here. Yeah, you about to let us go. I need to stand up anyways. I'm gonna ask you to pray. Now listen, God is not deaf. You don't have to scream and scare anybody. Pentecostals been doing that long enough. That's why they quit coming to church churches. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Nobody take off running and trip over anything. It's not the point. God's not deaf. We don't have to scream. But listen to me. I believe one of the most beautiful sounds in all of creation is when more than one person begins to pray all at once. And God, I don't know if you knew this or not, but God has the gift of interpretation. He does. He doesn't even need anybody to explain it to him. I'm gonna ask you today not to just listen to me pray, but I'm gonna ask you to pray for this city and the surrounding area, for Acadian. I'm gonna call the names of some communities. And you might even wanna lift up some people that aren't in here today and pray for them and their family. I'm gonna ask you to swing some sackcloth this morning. And I'm gonna ask you to intercede on behalf of somebody else today. And let's believe God for him to respond to the plea of a people. Let's pray. Father, right now we come together. We unite our prayers in you. What a beautiful sound it is when your people pray. God, your word says 
I know it's often quoted, but God, today I pray that it would be more than a scripture that we heard for somebody else. God, I pray that it would be the inspiration. Your word says that if your people who are called by your name will turn from their wicked ways and they will humble themselves and pray, then you will hear from heaven. You will forgive their sin and you will heal their land. God, forgive us for our complacency. God, forgive us for our compromise. God, forgive us for our superficial spirituality. God, forgive us of our religious attitude and our works-based ideas of being able to get to you. God, right now, we lift up Acadiana to you. I lift up Eunice and Iota. I lift up Crowley in the name of Jesus. I lift up Basile and Elton and Kinder. I lift up Lawtel all the way to Opelousas. And I lift up Villeplatte all the way up to Alexandria. Every community and every individual in between. And God, I pray that the rain would come. I pray that the drought would be over. I pray that the divine would make himself manifest to the people in this place. And that you would anoint even us in this church to be a light to a lost world. God, to be a hope for the hurting and a place and a people that others could come and receive salvation and healing and be filled with the Spirit and discover their purpose and impact eternity. God, we pray for the state of Louisiana. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would raise up born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, women and men who are able to stand in the Senate and stand in the House and stand as the governor and stand in the offices and proclaim the truth of God despite the lies of the enemy. Me. The devil is a lie and God makes a way when there seems to be no way. I pray for our nation. Oh God, that the vision of the Puritans would truly come to pass. That we would really love one another as a sign of truly being your sons and daughters. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the United States of America. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this great state and in Acadiana and all around us. Lord, I pray for those who are straying and those who are drifting. God, would you draw them by your spirit? Lord, we believe that when your people pray, it's like incense into the throne room that is received by the Most High. We face the Father this morning and we ask that you would reveal yourself in this generation for the next generation. God, would you grant us wisdom to lead your people and obedience and discipline not to lead your people astray. God, help us. God, help us to be a part of what you want to build. God, help us to be a bridge and not a blockade for what you want to do. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room today and you know that you haven't been living for Jesus, you know that you haven't been facing the Father, I want to ask you in the name of Jesus to turn around, not physically, but spiritually. I want to ask you to repent, which is to change your mind, I believe, to turn to God. Would you open your hands right where you are as a posture of surrender? 
If you need to give your life to Jesus today or you need to give your life back to Jesus today, would you simply open your hands and prepare your heart to pray? Today is your day. This is the moment that God has been waiting for, for you to recognize what he's been trying to reveal. The king is on his way. And he is hoping so badly to find you waiting on him. Would you receive the free gift of salvation this morning? I'm gonna invite the church to pray out loud in this moment so that you will know you are not alone. If you're watching online or if you're standing in this room, simply open your hands and let's use our mouth to confess. Let's use the sound of our voice to declare. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short. I've been distracted, even disobedient. I believe that you came down from heaven. You live the perfect life but you died on the cross. You paid for sin that you did not commit. You shed your blood for me. When you were hanging on that tree, you saw my face and you died anyways, but you were raised from the dead so I could be raised too. So may I be born again and made new. Would you take my life and make it yours? May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I'm facing the Father. I'm following Jesus. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?